It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Because there seems to be a lot of entitlement coming out of the mouths of new Democrats. And I am so, so happy you're here. I really am. I love deeply and appreciate deeply every person who said, I cannot be a Republican anymore. And so now I guess I'm a Democrat. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Host Nevada Caucus, we are coming to you to chat about the state of the race and everything else that's going on in the world. And it's a lot and it's very important. Of course, there is another debate happening this very evening. On Tuesday, we were going to debate with you in a new way. You can join us on Hot Mic to watch our debate reactions live. We're very excited about this. There is an invitation code for you to use in the show notes, and we hope to see you there face-to-face. It'll kind of be like we're just all on a big sectional together taking this thing in. 
We also have several live events coming up that we're very excited about. For you Texans, we will actually be at the Dallas Regional Chamber Women's Business Conference on Friday, March 6th, and you can register for that event. It is open to the public. Also, we have a spring tour we're very excited about. We are going to be in Washington, D.C., Philly, Boston, and New York City four nights in a row, March 26th through 29th. And we have special VIP meet and greet opportunities at the Washington, D.C., Boston, and New York City shows. We're so excited. And Beth, I have an idea I want to share with you. I think these shows should be a little bit of uh, primary unleashed in that sometimes we're careful what we say on the show because of, you know, email. But since these are just once-in-time moments with the audience there, that we could unleash ourselves a bit. What do you think? I like it. I like it. I don't, not that we hold back too much. I don't want to give the we impression. Don't. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a fun idea. I'll have to think more about it. So y'all, if y'all if y'all are interested in that or just want to see us in person and hang out and have grace-filled political conversations live, you can go to the link in our show notes to the events page on our website and get tickets for any of those shows. You know, it's great. You just said, let's do it. Unleashed. And my response was, I'll think more about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's we also want to welcome a new Pantsy Politics executive producer. Every executive producer means a lot to us. We are really, really honored that Allie Edwards has chosen to be an executive producer. Allie endorsed our book. She's someone whose work we admire so much, and it is a very big deal to us that she has chosen to support our work in this way. So welcome, Allie, to a group of phenomenal executive producers. We could not make the show without all of you. Thank you so much. And I just, I can get a little verklempt talking about Ellie Edwards because I have been enjoying her work. And if you have not checked her out, do. She has the most amazing approach to just documenting everyday life. I will be doing my 10th week in the life with her this year. Um, I do her December daily every year. And I mean, you know, I look back at these and the fact that I've documented really, really precious moments in my family's lives when my when my babies were babies. And I'm so grateful that she came into my life and that I have these um, albums and these memories documented in such a beautiful way. I just love her so much. Thank you so much for, for supporting us, Allie. Well, and with all of the people on Patreon, there is nothing that lifts me more in a week than going on to Patreon and seeing that people are there supporting us because we we really couldn't do this work without you. It is what enables us to put the research in and knowing that you show up for us in this way. It's just a really big deal. So thank you, Allie and all of our executive producers and everyone who supports us in any way on Patreon. We appreciate every single one of you. So there's a lot of Bernie um, emotions, lots of big Bernie feelings in the world. And we're going to get to those. So everybody just take a deep breath because <sighs> we're going to go through some other news stories. And after the break, we'll be all in on Bernie as clearly the Democratic Party is looking <laughs> Like it is. But first, we wanted to get through um, several big news stories, including breaking news as we started to record on Monday that the jury has come back with their verdict in the Harvey Weinstein criminal trial. Harvey Weinstein has been found guilty of two counts, criminal sexual assault in the first degree and rape in the third degree. He was found not guilty on the two more serious counts. 
of predatory sexual assault and first-degree rape. The indictment in this case rested on the accusations of Miriam Haley and Jessica Mann, as well as the testimony of four other women who supported those accusations. And let us not lose in the verdict conversation the fact that many women sacrificed a lot to talk to prosecutors, to Mm. talk to journalists, to be cross-examined in order to get to this result. Well, and I think it's so easy to get consumed with the more serious charges that he was acquitted of and lose fact of the um, reality that we would be sitting here talking about Harvey Weinstein going to prison for sexually assaulting women was science fiction 10 years ago. That's right. And out of the realm of possibility five years ago. So, you know, I am so happy that we see justice served for the victims of Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby and these people who seemed untouchable. That is such a powerful, powerful moment that I don't think we should skip over. And also, I think for everyone fearful that this movement has gone too far, that in this case, the jury came back to the judge and said they were unanimous on these two counts and they were not unanimous on the other two counts. And could they be hung on the two more serious counts? They asked the judge that. And the judge said, no, you need to deliberate longer. This happens to juries all the time. And you usually with more time, you can figure it out. Stick with it, friends. You can. (laughs) And they returned a not guilty verdict, which is what is supposed to happen when you aren't absolutely sure in our criminal justice system. And so I think that this is a really great example of how culture put the right pressure on our systems to make them work better. Because you're right, it is inconceivable that this would have happened. I'm honestly shocked that it happened this time. I was prepared Mm. for them to come back not guilty on all counts. And I just feel really comforted that the, the pressures of advocacy and the system seem to dance together in a way that really feels like justice to me this time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, moving on from breaking news, I would say the top story around the world, despite the fact that we in the United States are really consumed with our presidential primary, continues to be the coronavirus. There was a great deal of acceleration in countries outside of Asia. You saw a spike in cases in Italy. You've seen a spike in cases in Iran, some of which they're not really able to trace where those spikes came from. So you're seeing a dramatic uptick in cases. You're seeing markets respond to the ongoing slowdown in China. I read a really good piece in the Wall Street Journal that was like, listen, you know, 20 years ago with SARS, the global manufacturing community was not as dependent on China and their supply chain as they are now. So we might see a bigger economic toll come from this particular corona outbreak than we have in times past. But I don't think this story is anywhere near over. That's for sure. No, and it does bring together a lot of simmering issues in the global Mm -hmm. 
economy and in terms of what governments around the world can do and are doing about disease. I think it comes at a time, you know, for the most part, I don't like to talk much about the president's proposed budget because it's pretty meaningless. Congress does the work on the budget, uh, but it is symbolically important. And I think it is just bananas that the proposed budget from this president would lower the funding for the Center for Disease Control Mm. when you have coronavirus as the top story in the headlines. And when you have global health experts saying this is not going to be an outlier in terms of what we expect over the next 10 years or so. Well, I think it's just representative of of the fact that when politics is driven by emotion, the really important work that government does gets lost. And preventing global pandemics or disease outbreaks is an incredibly important job of not just the United States government, but governments around the world. But when they are consumed by, you know, nationalist fervor or um, trade wars or whatever, this stuff falls off the list because it's not exciting especially outside of a global outbreak. So I think that's just a really important lesson to learn. I'm not super hopeful we'll learn it this time. And I think it's re- I think what's really hard about the coronavirus too is that you want to walk this line between acknowledging the risk and not feeding the fear. There was a really great quote from the World Health Organization's um, director general that said, I've spoken consistently about the need for facts, not fear. Using the word pandemic now does not fit the facts, but it may certainly cause fear. Um, and, you know, you have quarantines all across the globe. And there's a crazy story in California where they were where Costa Mesa basically sued the federal government not to put a quarantine center that was basically not up to the task in their city. And I think it's just it's it's surfacing all these issues and problems that we've neglected. And so you have to talk about that and think about that and be real that even if this isn't a pandemic, this is exposing some of the weaknesses we would face in the face of a real pandemic. And I just it's it's really difficult. It's all very difficult. And it's I think one of the real difficulties for me ethically in thinking about coronavirus is that quarantine sounds safe, comfortable, like this is how we ensure that people are taken care of without spreading the disease further, when that's not really what happened here. The quarantine circumstances for lots of people across the world have been extremely difficult physically and psychologically. And I worry about stories like the one that broke that President Trump did not want to return U.S. citizens from that cruise ship um, who might be infected with coronavirus. Well, where else do we want them to go? I mean, people with Mm -hmm. coronavirus are still people and still our fellow citizens. And I worry, too, about the spread of infectious disease. But I also worry about um, treating it humanely in people who have been infected. So I just think we have big questions to answer. And that's just the public health side. To your point, Sarah, we've got big questions to answer about how dependent the entire global economy is on Chinese manufacturing that are being exposed here, too. Did you see the New York Times story, um, the weekly diary or the daily diary from a Chinese American in the quarantine? No, I didn't. It was so touching. You know, it wasn't long. It wasn't these like, you know, paragraph long reflections, but she shared in just a really beautiful, vulnerable way about how hard it was to leave her grandparents in China who she couldn't 
how goodbye and how she they were being treated and and how like the the health staff um had like a little like she got, <laughs> this part makes me want to cry like she got Valentine's Day stuff for some of the people around her and then was so touched when she came out and the staff had set up a little Valentine's Day display like how these just really tiny touches of I know this is difficult and you're still a human being we're, we're so powerful in these moments. I highly recommend it. We'll put the link in the show notes. It was it was really beautiful. Well, as we continue to look at what's going on around the globe, President Trump has been in India for a quick visit that included Namaste Trump, a 100,000-person-plus rally with Prime Minister Modi there. And, you know, the president was very excited about this trip because there was going to be a lot of pomp and circumstance surrounding it. There are big issues for the United States substantively to work with India on, including trade um, and security as tensions between India and Pakistan are on the rise. India is critically important to the global economy like China. It is critically important whenever you talk about climate change. The population there is huge and growing. Um, And so hopefully, you know, a good relationship between the president and Prime Minister Modi will help solve some of those issues. I'm trying to be really optimistic about this, Sarah. Yeah. And I I mean, it's so light on substance, this visit. It's a lot of a lot of flash. And there's a lot of substance, not just um, the importance of India, but the behavior and policies of Prime Minister Modi, including the crackdown in Kashmir, this religious-based citizenship bill that they that we talked about uh, uh, probably a few weeks ago on the show. It's just the stuff is problematic, and they're saying, well, Trump will talk about him in private, which doesn't leave me real hopeful um, that this isn't going to be anything but a lot of sort of glad-handing and praise and ego boosting. You know, I just keep trying to remember, even as I feel very critical of these two world leaders and the way that they publicly court one another, I try to remember what I say to myself all the time, which is I can only influence people with whom I am in relationship. And so hopefully being in relationship here is helpful as some of those bigger picture issues get worked through. I do find it pretty transparent when the president mm-hmm. is creating pep rallies on the global stage like this in the midst of the Democratic primary. But again, I'm just going to hope for the best here. So this big rally gave us an opportunity to talk about a piece that lots of you sent us from Carlin Brojensko. It's entitled, After Attending a Trump Rally, I Realize Democrats Are Not Ready for 2020. Beth, did you read this piece? I did read this piece, Sarah. Um, What did you think about it? Okay, well, (laughs) (laughs) no filter. The first thing I did was see what other kinds of pieces this person has written. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because uh I felt very skeptical about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Here's what I think. It, It is good for us to challenge our preconceived notions. You and I do what we do here because we believe there is value in disagreement and in differing ideas and perspectives. I also think there is a turning point where the idea of looking beyond your echo chamber can get romanticized as an end in and of itself that 
also prevents us from seeing what's going on clearly. And and this piece for me read like someone who, I mean, I hate to be really critical of this person I don't know, but there was in it, it here's what it felt like. I'm struggling. Here's what it felt like. The way that sometimes Megan McCain's writing strikes me, that's how I felt about this piece. Like there was something in it that seemed to be a little bit um, manipulative, man, a little bit manipulative and a, and a little bit just even if it's 100 percent sincere, lacking in some maturity mm-hmm. because it, it felt so sort of one note. Right. So I read this piece like maybe the next day after I had a very extensive conversation with a listener in New Hampshire who had attended a Trump rally. And this perspective is so diametrically opposed to her experience that every red flag I have went up. Because our listener told this to me in the corner of a private event with no microphone on, with no agenda. She wasn't trying to write a viral piece for Medium, okay? She was just sharing what she saw. And she saw no jubilant, embracing rally. She saw lots of <clears throat> your feeling shirts, lots of keep Amer- keep liberals crying shirts. Um, she tried to engage several audience members, and there were angry responses. And there were, I mean, this was just in no way, shape, or form what she saw at the Trump rally she attended. And I think that they were at the same dang rally because there was only one New Hampshire rally in the summer. So I think that there is a subsection of the Internet that has found a virality and clicks and a new audience by being the last person you'd expect to embrace Trump. Like, that's like a little, that's a thing, right? Um, To be the... Latinx member or the African-American or the gay person or the whatever it is or the former Democrat who used to hate Trump embracing Trump and like saying, oh, it's really the Democrats that are so bad and so judgy. It's just I mean, I thought this whole piece, I'm going to be not near as nice as you are. I thought it was crap. I don't believe anything she said. (laughs) I think it was so manipulative and she clearly had an agenda and she wants to be the new voice like that. That woman who comes to she's like an actress and she comes to every single red carpet and like a bedazzled sequin Trump dress. That's what that is. It's just for attention. It's just it just whatever. I rolled my eyes at the whole thing and was not a fan. Well, even where there is sincerity of belief at the root of it. I mean, the other side of what you're talking about are are never Trump people who have achieved a certain Mm -hmm. form of virility by being the last person you'd expect to oppose Trump, right? And and there's a whole industry built on, wow, let me surprise you with my strongly held political belief that you didn't see coming. And it's Mm -hmm. not healthy for anybody. I mean, I'm struggling to talk about this piece fairly because I don't know this person. And I absolutely agree that you can spend time with people who love Donald Trump and have a pleasant experience. I don't think yes. that's a revelatory remark. Right. And and for me, just casting it in those terms, oh my gosh, I was surprised that I wasn't attacked or something, um, just shows you like we're in kind of a silly space all the way around right. this issue. Um, I also think, though, that 
It is unhelpful, and, and I'm certain we'll talk more about this in the next section, but it is unhelpful for any of us pundit, voter, medium writer, podcast host to sit here <laughs> and say today, I know what is coming in November. Yes. I hate those kind of pieces. Like the one you you've unlocked the one thing that's going to, you know, reveal the whole future through November. Just not a fan. Not a fan. Not that simple. I was surprised to see in our notes, Sarah, that you wanted to talk about baseball today. Well, I listen, this has come up so much and I do feel invested in baseball, not because I attend baseball games as often as you do, which is why I wanted your perspective on the story, but because my cousin um, is a professional baseball player. And so I thought, and the scandal in baseball keeps bubbling up and bubbling up and bubbling up. For those of you who don't know, um, the Astros, the Houston Astros, used electronics um, to steal signs, like signs about what the pitcher was going to pitch, from opposing catchers during the World Series winning season in 2017. Um, You had a member come out and basically blow the whistle. And so you've had investigations, you've had suspensions of the general managers, and then other managers who'd moved on to other teams were fired. But there's been no players disciplined at all. And you're seeing, which you don't usually see in Major League Baseball, the players themselves come out and be like, this is outrageous. These players should be disciplined for cheating. Um, and it just seems to be growing and growing and growing. So I know you're such a baseball household. I wanted to know what you thought about all this. Well, thank you for bringing this up. Um, my favorite baseball player by a lot is Joey Votto of the Cincinnati Reds. And he did a podcast interview It's long. It's 90 minutes. I listened to a baseball player talk to a baseball host for 90 minutes. That's how much I love (laughs) Joey Votto. And he talked about this scandal in that interview. I'll put a link in the show notes because you want to talk about gifts to humanity. Joey Votto is one of them. He is amazing in every way. So smart. So interesting. Just not at all uh, pretentious or he's just he's wonderful. Anyway, In this interview, he talks about how he actually thinks this was the right result because it would be very difficult to know which players, like if you if you used it once, are you on the hook? If you did it every game, if you thought about Mm. it but then became uncomfortable. He said, you know, his understanding is that this became part of the culture of the team. And like any culture, it's hard to sort out to what extent each individual bought into that culture. And he also said, look, this is one of the worst kept secrets in baseball. And Mm. everybody tries to steal signs. The issue is the technology being involved here. And so he, he really thought that Major League Baseball did the best. I hope I'm characterizing his comments correctly, that Major League Baseball did the best they could under the circumstances with this topic. Um, And I tend to agree. Wow. Well, I think it's really tough because I think, you know, baseball has been losing sort of market share with regards to the professional sports. And I think they've always been, you know, they've they've had scandals that really hurt them further. And I'm afraid this one's going to be the same way. And it's, it you know, the the for base for me the difference between baseball and other professional sports is the minor leagues and I hate to see um, minor league players sort of suffer under a scandal or feel like they're being held to a different standard. Professional players aren't being held to, and so seeing their frustration bubble up was really like a a thing that got my attention. 
I, I think it's I think it's hard. I, I see all of his points. And also, you know, I'm an Enneagram one and I want justice. So the idea that people would cheat and not be disciplined is is a little mind blowing to me, even if it was a culture. I mean, and like I understand that culture is an issue, but in, we we can't find every player's sort of participation. But for better or for worse, Mike Fires blew the whistle. And so it wasn't like some people couldn't find their way out of this and expose it or end it or try to end it. And so the people who not only didn't, but participated and took advantage of it, the idea that they, would, they wouldn't receive any consequences is, I think it's difficult to swallow. I don't blame them for being mad. It's a microcosm of many of our societal issues because baseball is always like that. You know, it's a long game over a huge season. There are systemic and individual choices to be made here and the impact of technology on things in a, in a thing that you're trying to win over the long haul. It's hard to measure individual versus collective culpability. So just another way that baseball has a lot to teach us, I think. A couple of shows ago, we talked about... The war in Afghanistan and the idea of reaching a peace negotiation with the Taliban and how people felt about that. A week-long reduction in violence between the Taliban, the United States, and Afghan security forces began on Friday. Um, This is the beginning of this peace negotiation and hopefully a resolution to this 18-year-long war. There are about 14,000 U.S. troops and some 17,000 troops from NATO allies and partner countries stationed in Afghanistan in non-combat roles. And recently, the United Nations came out with um, figures on how many Afghans have been killed or injured since 2009 when they started tracking it. And it is more than 100,000 people. Um, No one in that country has been um, unaffected by this conflict, along with um, thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans. So... This reduction of violence, because I think they've gotten close to this before. And then these fringe groups pop up, make attacks to really derail the process. And I think um, it seems like it's they're aware of that and trying to prevent that. I mean, this is just the beginning of the negotiations, but uh, we wanted to update you on that progress. We got such a wonderful email that we included in our newsletter from a listener who said, that this is really difficult for families Mm -hmm. who've had a loved one deployed in Afghanistan because negotiation with the Taliban is just a tough thing to swallow, even as those folks also really want to see a resolution to this conflict. And she suggested that if you know people who have served or who love someone who has served, that you just reach out and ask how they're doing with all this. And I thought it was a beautiful, important reminder of how we can really support our troops, even through the diplomatic side of international conflict. And in other positive developments surrounding conversations we've had on the show, recently, Michael Bloomberg has decided to release three women from their non-disclosure agreements after bringing um, charges of sexual harassment and sexual discrimination in his company. So, I mean, good job, Elizabeth Warren. I feel like she deserves her credit. (laughs) I think this is a really good development, and I think I hope it's just the beginning, but. Well, good job, Senator Warren. Also, good job, Gretchen Carlson and her organization. There are lots of people out there working really hard in all kinds of spaces, governmental, corporate, um, and otherwise, to say these nondisclosure agreements are garbage and should not be allowed anymore. And I'm so glad that that work is picking up momentum. Beth, who do you want to compliment this week? I want to compliment a friend of the podcast and our personal Iowa legislative Sherpa, um, Representative Lindsay I thought you were going to say love child because somebody said she looked like she could. <laughs> I 
perfect combination of me and you. <laughs> this is so true. We posted a picture it's on Instagram. It's so true. Um, Representative Lindsey James is an absolute delight, delight. of a human being. And I don't mean to use delight in a superficial way at all because Mm-mm. she has such a depth of perspective, such expertise, um, is just as sharp as she can be on the issues. And one of the issues she's been working really hard on in Iowa is regulation of mobile home parks. And she has worked really hard within her committee to advance legislation. And the Des Moines Register is reporting that that legislation, despite having some bipartisan support, is not going to advance because Republicans have characterized it as price fixing, that there would be caps on rent that they're uncomfortable with. That is not, under my understanding, a very fair characterization of the regulations, which would have required rent justifications. The problem is if you own a mobile home, it's not all that mobile. And so where Mm -hmm. it sits, the park that it sits in is really important to you, but you don't have the kind of tenant protections you would have if you were renting in an apartment building. And so venture capital firms from outside of Iowa, like in many states, have come in and bought these parks up and charged exorbitant rates, have evicted people on a moment's notice, and have had all kinds of other abuses when mobile homes are really important as an affordable housing option. So Representative James was looking at some very kind of consensus-driven ways to protect people in mobile home parks. And even though the legislation did not advance this time, I know that she and others are going to keep at it, and I really appreciate her work on this issue. I wanted to compliment the Greyhound Bus Company. So Greyhound has now said that it will tell the Department of Homeland Security that it will no longer agree to warrantless searches of private areas of its companies, including its buses, terminals, and offices. It also said it plans to develop trainings to ensure drivers and employees to follow the new policy. I'm sure a lot of us have seen the really scary videos of ICE coming onto Greyhound buses demanding immigration papers or the tweets from people who turned them away and said, you have no right to do this. And so I think it's really, really great that Greyhound, after a lot of pressure from the ACLU and other organizations, said, "Okay, we're not going to do this anymore. We're we're not going to assent to warrantless searches of our buses or facilities. And I hope that it eases the, the stress and trauma of people just trying to travel across this country, often in places far away from the border, without being harassed by ICE. Next up, we are going to talk about those Big Bernie feelings and everything else going on with the primary. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked to me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to. I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops. Premium luggage options and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Well, we have another big contest under our belt. On Saturday, Nevada held its caucus, and Bernie Sanders won with almost 46.8% of the vote, dramatically expanding his coalition, including increased support among Latinx voters, women voters, and African Americans. Did you expect these results, Beth? I expected Bernie Sanders to win the Nevada caucuses. I did not expect him to more than double the second place finisher. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's the margin that is the story here. I also didn't expect the second place finisher to be Joe Biden, for what it's worth. Oh, you didn't? I thought that Joe Biden would do well in Nevada. Um, actually, no, I did not expect that. No, I figured because of his kind of long-term support with unions. I mean, Nevada is just a really interesting state politically. My husband and I were talking about why Bernie, not Warren, this morning. And I told him, you know, there's a lot of analysis out there. And I think a big chunk of the analysis is just that Bernie's run before. And I think mm-hmm. when you're a known quantity like Bernie and Biden and you're getting into bigger states, that goes a long way. Well, and he has all that fundraising. I mean, I think you cannot underestimate the role of money in politics. 
and the ability to get your name out there and to buy a lot of advertising, be it on Facebook or on the radio waves or on the television screen, cannot be underestimated. It's huge. It's how Mitch McConnell wins every year. He just buries people in a pile of money. Well, it's so weird, though, because money is, like, necessary but not sufficient. I mean, Tom Steyer spent so much more than anybody else in Nevada in advertising. It wasn't even close. And he ended up with a very small showing. Now, he's polling a little better in South Carolina, and we'll certainly test this theory with Bloomberg in a couple of weeks. But the the money is a is a huge part of it, but it's kind of like 2016. It's not enough. I mean, let us all take a moment for Jeb Bush. Word. So as we sit here, the delegate count is currently Bernie Sanders, 35, Pete Buttigieg, 24, Biden, 10, Warren, 8, and Klobuchar, 7. And so I think that that's just important to keep in mind. Where we're actually sitting with delegates, you know, it's not a lot. You need like 1,100 or something to win, but he is um, running up the total. And, you know, that's going to look a lot different on Super Ch- after Super Tuesday, of course. Axios had some really interesting insight to your point about Nevada, which is that it it looks like the entire United States is going to look in 2045. Only it looks like that now. It's one of only four states that is minority white. The Hispanic population is expected to make up 25 percent of the American population by 2045, but it's already 30 percent of Nevada's population. Um, Immigration is going to hit record levels by 2045 across the country, but it's already a huge share of the population of Nevada. It's the fifth largest of any state. And they live in urban areas like 89 percent of Americans are expected to live by 2050. So it's really interesting, I think, when you look at the results of Nevada to think about, like, this will be what the United States will look like in 20 years. It will look like this state. The other thing I think is interesting coming out of Nevada is that, you know, (laughs) it never ceases to amaze me how we can be in a tizzy about something and no one feels obligated to report like, hey, you know how we were all freaking about freaking out about Nevada's technology? Turns out it was fine. Like, it's just we just all move on even though there were so many stories about how, is this going to be another Iowa? Is this going to be another Iowa? And it's not that it was without problems. It seems like there was a lot of difficulties um, putting people's early voting preference cards into the overall total, which got speed to them letting people early caucus. I really kind of don't understand that. I mean, I get it, and I think it's great for accessibility, but it would be difficult to incorporate that into the overall totals. But There was no meltdown, but they don't do a story about how we were all wrong and there was no meltdown, which is fine. I get it. But I just want to point that out, that there was, in fact, no meltdown. The anti-tizzy does not get the kind of media attention that the tizzy gets. That's for sure. You know, what surprised me the most, I think, in terms of Bernie's margin, like that the margin surprised me the most. The subset of my surprise Mm -hmm. about the margin was that he was a strong candidate on second alignment. That Bernie was a lot of people's second choice. I thought that was so interesting. I did too. You think that's just he's getting the play? He's he's becoming the front runner, and that just feeds on itself. I definitely think that the momentum is the issue here. When so many people are freaked out about wanting to beat Donald Trump. Choosing someone who they think has the capacity to win is important. And I think especially in a caucus situation, if if you're in a room and you see a huge Bernie contingent and your first choice isn't viable, I can completely understand how you think, well, Just, yeah. I want to be Donald Trump. The energy seems to be here. I'm going to yeah. go with it. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, 
There are so many components of the Bernie campaign that are appealing, that it's young, that it has energy, that it's expanding, that they have money, that they seem really um, well-suited in the social media spaces. They have huge followings on all the social media platforms. They are innovative when it comes to using those platforms. And, you know, I just think it can't... The other thing I was thinking about with Bernie, too, is... If you have people so frustrated and angry that Donald Trump lies all the time and, you know, is for it, is against it, bounces around, I think that's where some of the appeal of Bernie's the same as he's always been and everybody else just caught up, has its appeal. Um, A friend of mine was talking to my husband about a, kind of a local political controversy. And he was like, you know, people are mad. People are mad about the cost of health care. People are mad about income inequality. They just don't know what to be mad about. Right. And I think the channeling of those big feelings in favor of Bernie um, by the campaign to these issues that really speak to people, I like, I get it. You know, I get it. And I'm not, I'm not even mad about it because, you know, I think that where there are similarities between Bernie's rise this time and Donald Trump's rise in 2016, there was a frustration uh, perhaps about the economy, for sure, and definitely about sort of losing the culture wars, feeling left out of the of these changes in the United States. And they're, they're channeled in such a sort of angry, other people are your problem kind of way. And you know, I'm not mad that if there if there has to be sort of a populist bent, at least I feel like Bernie is is channeling it at the right sort of causes. You know what I mean? Like, I do, you know, I think people are angry about health care. So I don't think it's bad that that's the number one thing he talks about. I think that is a massive problem in the United States um, and income inequality and corruption and all these things. I mean, there's just a part of me, the more I think about it and the more I sort of sit with it. Uh, I get it. And I, I don't have the panic that the political establishment has about, oh, Bernie, you know, Bernie's just going to lose. I mean, you guys love polls more than anybody else. Look at the polls. That's not that does not seem to be the case. The only thing that just still every time I see it grates me so hard is the fact that, oh, he's an I, he's an independent. The fact that he's just not a freaking Democrat. It's not even the Democratic Socialist part because I think they turn anybody into a boogeyman. That's the truest thing I've ever heard at, a, at the Democratic debates. And there have been many is when Pete Buttigieg says, who cares? They're going to call all of us a socialist. Um, it's just the fact that he's not a Democrat that kind of gets under my skin. But if it's who Democrats want, then it's who Democrats want. I do feel bad in both the general and the specific that we have this whole conversation about everybody wants to beat Trump so badly. And so maybe he's the safer bet. I got a message from um, Savitha who listens to our show and happens to be a very beloved person in my life. And she was hearing a conversation among professional political commentators about how people don't want to take a risk on a woman this time or a risk on a person of color or a risk on an LGBT candidate. And she said, you know, it just hurts to hear that, that I'm that Mm -hmm. people who look like me and feel like me are not a safe bet. And Mm -hmm. it put into words something that I'd been thinking about hearing so often. I don't think America is ready for a gay president because I think 
gosh, I, I know what it feels like to hear America's not ready for a woman. I can't imagine having to walk around in the world also hearing that America's not ready for a gay president or America's not ready for a president of color. And um, so I think it I think we are doing harm to each other by all being pundits in that way. That said, my reaction to the Bernie freakout over the weekend as someone who um, is not a Democrat is is also I, I just kind of look at everyone and think, do you see the problem unfolding here? You know, when I say never Trump, I mean never Trump, never ever under any circumstance because of family separation at the border. That issue will probably define my personal politics in ways that I do and do not understand for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. There is not a candidate that Democrats could put up that would make me say, well, if you do that, I'm voting for Trump. First of all, I don't think we use our votes as threats in that way. And secondly, Mm -hmm. there isn't someone that would make me say, "Okay, this makes Trump acceptable. Because of the family separation issue. And I have heard all of the whatabouts on that issue. And just respectfully, everybody, I'm not going to change my mind about it. I feel really strong. That is my red line. And Trump has crossed it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not voting for Trump ever. When I say never, I mean it. I do not fear Bernie Sanders as the president in terms of him enacting a sweeping socialist agenda because I think our system makes it really hard to get things done. Mm -hmm. And what I think he could accomplish via executive order, when I compare it to what Trump can accomplish via executive order, I do not think Senator Sanders would use executive orders that would create more suffering. And I think Donald Trump uses executive orders that create more suffering. So I am not going to get in 2021, a president who has my view of what the executive branch ought to be in our government under any circumstance. Mm -hmm. I am also not, as a person who's never voted for a Democrat for president until this coming election, going to walk around telling Democrats who they ought to nominate. And I'm certainly not going to be leaning on Democratic Party elders to endorse, because the fact of the matter is People who come out and endorse now, it is an anti-endorsement. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't look like leadership. Leadership is Mm -hmm. sticking your neck out. If President Obama was going to stick his neck out, he needed to do it before Bernie Sanders became the front runner in this way, right? Right. And I just think everybody needs to take a big, deep breath and leave this thing to the voters because that's what they decided to do in this primary. Yep. I mean, that's true. I still, you know, because I was struggling with, I mean, I really don't love the idea of somebody that gets like 30 percent of the vote of a plurality of delegates getting the nomination. I don't love that. I still don't love that. But that's not what we're talking about here. 46.8 ain't 30. It's almost 50. (laughs) And even if you add every other single candidate together, you're not, it's still not a blowout. You know, like I just... I think, like, I'm, everybody knows how I feel. I think Elizabeth Warren would be the best president, the best candidate, the best president, without a doubt. But I think you're right. I don't think that that is the right way for leaders to interact with this. And the other thing is, I really appreciate you saying, I don't think it's my role, 
because there seems to be a lot of entitlement coming out of the mouths of new Democrats. And I am so, so happy you're here. I really am. I love deeply and appreciate deeply every person who said, I cannot be a Republican anymore. And so now I guess I'm a Democrat. But I also don't want to feel taken hostage by those people. Like, that's not a pleasant emotion either. I don't want to be taken hostage by anybody, including Bernie bros. So, I mean, I guess that the other option, if we're not going to be taken hostage by party elites and leadership or Bernie bros or, you know, new moderate Democrats, whatever, then the then we just got to accept the messiness that is the democratic process. It's not easy for me, um, but I get it. And I think there's also a part of me that realized, like, I hadn't thought through with Bernie and everybody freaking out, which is, dude, 78. We're talking about one term. (laughs) He's not serving two terms, okay? So this is not another decade of a different approach. But, I mean, believe, though, that the, the, the other side is stoking the fears about this. My father sent me a meme with a a graph comparing Bernie to Hitler. And I said, I'm not going to do this with you. I'm not doing this with you. Like, but that's coming. That I mean, he is terrified. He's re- I mean, he was speaking in some very strong language when he was asking me whether I would vote for Bernie, which, of course, the answer is yes, I will vote for Bernie. But he sees that as a vote for Stalin. And that's only going to get worse. But again, I think Pete's right. They're going to tur- they're going to get a head start on turning Bernie into a boogeyman because Bernie has been Bernie for so long. But they're going to turn anybody into a boogeyman. Amy Klobuchar, Joe Biden, already got a head start on that one. Anybody was going to be turned into a boogeyman because they have to be a boogeyman to justify Trump. And so I just think, like, that's not a good reason to freak out because that was going to be true no matter what. I mean, Bernie could serve two terms. The 94-year-old prime minister of Malaysia just stepped down over a political scandal. So who knows? Look, I my instinct is that Bernie would lose pretty dramatically and that he would be a drag on the down ballot. But I got literally everything wrong in 2016. <laughs> and so don't listen to me about that. And I also think this thing is not over. A lot of dynamics can shift between now and Super Tuesday. And I think the best thing that can happen is for people who are engaged in this primary process to go work for your candidates who you love, Mm -hmm. vote for your candidates who you love, and see where it shakes out. But this freakout is so unhelpful, especially when we know that there are outside forces, including Russia, who are interested Mm -hmm. in this race. And do you know what they're interested in? They don't care who wins. They are interested in all of us losing our minds about it. They are interested in an outcome that we all question its legitimacy. And we're already there. Russia doesn't have to do a damn thing now, except sit back and occasionally plant stories that they're actually meddling again. You know, they have done, they have gotten what they looked for, an America where we don't trust each other an ounce where every news story i mean i said that about that medium post the first thing i did was see is this the first thing this person's ever written on medium because i have this voice in my head everything i touch politically i think where did this come from is this a real human being am i being manipulated through this so congrats russia and that's going to happen whether it's bernie or anyone else i have lots and lots of concerns about Bernie Sanders. If I were filling out a ranked choice ballot, 
Bernie would be at the very bottom of my list of Democrats that I would prefer to vote for. But I'm not the only person who lives here. I love Pete Buttigieg. I'm not talking about Pete Buttigieg a lot on our show because I am very concerned at how people of color view Pete Buttigieg. And I'm a white lady. It's not my job to sit here on this podcast and explain to everyone how they ought to feel about that. I've got to do some listening. And that's how I feel as a moderate Democrat and independent who's housed in the Democratic Party during this period in our history. I've just got to do some listening. Not everybody sees everything through my lens. And that is okay. If I truly want to live in a democracy, which I do, that's the view I've got to take about this thing. If you saw the reporting that Russia is interfering both in favor of Trump and Bernie, with regards to Bernie, the answer is not, ooh, We should freak out. And he really is a threat because Russia wants him to get elected. It's don't play to what they want to happen. They've picked him because they think he's the most incendiary candidate. So if the truly patriotic thing to me to do in this situation is Bernie is is an American who loves his country and wants what's best for America. And we'll let the democratic process decide to to feed the flames of that or to feed the distrust, not just of the electoral process, but of the national intelligence community, which is what President Trump has responded. You know, Bernie said, get out of our election. His response was the right response. Trump was like, I don't know. They didn't tell me this. Like, in what universe are they briefing Bernie, but not Trump? Give me a break. And like denouncing it and then firing people who give those reports. It's just all so concerning. This is past like grudges. This is a a this this filling every position with loyalist is so So troubling, especially in the face of the knowledge that Russia is most certainly trying to interfere again. That's right. And I know a lot of people just don't care about the way President Trump runs the executive branch. They just don't care about the personnel decisions. If what impacts them in their lives is working out okay, they're okay. I read this wonderful piece in The Atlantic uh, that we'll link in the show notes about how one of the things that has to happen in the general election conversation is a reckoning between what has actually transpired under Donald Trump in terms of foreign policy and all the the earth is ending alarm bells that have gone off about the Donald Trump presidency. You know, mm-hmm. it starts out with, you know, hey, we're in a protracted war with Iran and in North Korea because that's what Democrats have told us is going to happen under Donald Trump for the last four years, and neither has happened. And it's not that his foreign policy has been hugely successful and wonderful, but it hasn't been as doomsday as it had been foretold to be. I think that is both true and incomplete, because I do think four more years of this president without meaningful checks from Congress is a scary proposition. But I think the same holds true on the other side. If I say to myself, well, it hasn't all been a complete catastrophe with Donald Trump, even if I think that Bernie Sanders is actually a a pure Marxist who is into Marxism for all of the worst and most selfish reasons, which I, I don't think that, but let's say that I do. We're just playing it out. Then I have to put the same container around him, right? Because fortunately in our system, it is really hard to do things. And so I just think that the the patriotic act right now is to borrow from the British and, and like, keep calm and carry on, everybody. Let's just 
play this primary out, see where it goes. But if if a bunch of people rush in at a very high level now in a stop Bernie kind of way, that also plays right into Russia's hands because we have sown this seed of American, regular, actual American voter who is not an elected official, a journalist, or a corporate mogul. Every single thing is conspiring against you. And and we got to shake that loose. This goes to something I've been thinking a lot about, and I could not agree more, that to keep calm and carry on does not mean to, you know, and I, and I know you don't mean this, to tune out of the political process or to assume the right person will win like we did in 2016. But I feel pretty passionately it does mean to get the hell off social media mm-hmm. because no political power is exchanged on social media. I really want Elizabeth Warren to win. So on Friday, I signed up and I made calls for Elizabeth Warren to Nevada. And I plan on going to Tennessee, which is my closest swing state, and to knock doors for Elizabeth Warren. And also, I'm deactivating my Facebook account for Lent and perhaps forever. Because I just think if you are concerned with this sort of interference, if you're concerned with the political tenor, then we all just have to acknowledge that almost nothing good comes out of us being in those places and trying to convince each other over Facebook. It's not a real exchange of power. It's just an emotional exercise that is easily exploited and manipulated, not only by Russia, but by the campaigns themselves. And I just I just want it all to stop. My husband keeps making fun of me because I'm like entering every room I get into and just screaming, Facebook is the devil's playground. Like I just <laughs> my passion about this is increasing by the day. Um, If we take anything away from 2016, how could it not be that that is a really dangerous place to believe that that is where we should all be to talk about and to deal with our political environment? It's not. It's the it's the opposite. It's the devil's playground. I'm gonna make shirts, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the carry on portion of keep calm, because what we really need to combat that sense of conspiracy is actual agency in our own lives. And you can derive that agency by knocking doors or making calls or just having conversations with the people in your life and reading and thinking critically. I think that you lose your sense of agency when you get too absorbed in polling, in punditry, or if you just subject yourself to hours of scrolling Where else in my life am I going to put myself in a space for other people to just yell the same thing over and over and over at me? And that's really what election Twitter feels like to me. Um, Mm -hmm. It's certainly what Facebook feels like. It's not that all social media is horrible, but this particular use of social media to yell at each other about elections, I think it's pretty safe to say we don't have to have nuance about it. It's just bad. It's really bad. It's bad. And it's creepy. It's hard to sift through. Yes. And here's what I told my husband, too. I'm like, think about it. You know, in this particular political controversy in my hometown, everyone is just so fired up. And there is a lot of ignorance around the topic. It's not surprising. Everybody can't be an expert on everything. And especially if you're entering a conversation late in the game, you're not going to know everything. And I said, you know, the thing about it is, is 20 years ago, People were just as ignorant. Nobody wants to hear that. And I know that's sort of an inflammatory word. But I mean, like, people had opinions about things they weren't completely informed on. That's just the human way, okay? It's particularly the American way. But we just talked about it around our kitchen tables, and we all didn't have to witness the entire population's 
lack of complete information on every topic. And I think that was a gift, okay? Not because I think we can solve it, not because I think um, people don't deserve basic human kindness and that there is space in humanity for everybody to not to be an expert on every damn thing just because the information's out there on the internet, but just because it's exhausting. And I don't think we're supposed to be exposed to every single person in our entire social circle and beyonds. Um, opinions about everything. It's exhausting. It's not great for our view on humanity. It makes us cynical. Or on the opposite, it makes you a conspiracy theorist. It's just, it's not great. It's not great. I feel so strongly about this. It's a devil's playground, especially when it comes to politics. I can't tell you how good for my soul it was to on Friday just sit and make calls for her and then on Saturday to turn my phone off because I'm back to doing texture bots. Thank goodness, because during our travels, it really really messed with my weekly practice. But I turned my phone off. I got away from it all. You know, doing those two things together felt incredible. It felt incredible. And I just don't have any real desire to go back to, you know, scrolling through Facebook and being perpetually mad at my fellow citizens and fellow community members and friends and family because they don't understand, agree, whatever. It's just, it's bad. It's devil's playground. Hashtag devil's playground. That's what, let's make it, let's make it trend, everybody. Not really, because we shouldn't be anywhere where we're making things trend. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze Sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner 
make a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I know I almost think we shouldn't have hashtags anymore. I've been thinking about that a lot. To me, the, the real issue is that social media was supposed to be about connection, Mm-hmm. And what it offers instead is isolation masquerading as connection. Mm-hmm. It offers instead the deepest form of loneliness in the, the seeking of attention and the looking for places to fit in. And so around elections, that's just bad news. It's just, yep. it's really bad news. And, and it does make you feel powerless. If you spend an hour on social media, you start to think, of course, Trump's going to win re-election or of course, Bernie is a socialist or of course, Bernie's going to win. Why work for anybody else or whatever it is. And none of those things build up the sense that citizenship actually matters in its application that we need to seriously transform our political system in a positive way. What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? Well, I finished Cheer. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. I no longer feel left out. For those of you living under some sort of boulder, rock, mountain, cave, Cheer is the new hit show from Netflix, a reality show about Navarro Community College, which is a championship cheer team um their coach monica and a couple uh they follow closely a couple of sweet little people on the team and you watched it several weeks ago everybody's been talking about it i finally watched it i loved it i loved coach monica should we talk about coach monica first i want to start with the fact that she looks like cheryl crow i'm welcome to any other analysis after that I think it's very complicated with Coach Monica. First of all, I love cheer. I love everything about it. I think that there are so many wonderful things about the way that she interacts with those kids and builds mm-hmm. their self-esteem and mm-hmm. gives them opportunities and 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 this beautiful kind of side story about how she's like a really conservative Christian who's completely changed her views on LGBT individuals because of working with these kids. So lots of beautiful things. There is also the fact that she pushes them to the point of numerous, very serious injuries throughout a season that you're taking kids from 
really tough backgrounds in a lot of circumstances and giving them this way to flourish, but it is such a temporary way. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's just a lot going on. It's very complicated. And I think that's what made it so captivating to watch. That moment when Lexi is experiencing the online harassment, people are releasing racy photos of her. And she's like, so scared, so scared. And then you see Monica like bending down and listening to her. And she like takes her to the police. And Lexi thought she was going to be mad. Oh, it was so good. I cried so hard. I thought it was so sweet. I think it's true. I think that there is this really weird interplay of she is giving them a sense of self and a sense of confidence. It comes at enormous physical risk. And you see the alumni really struggle with having to let it go. Like there's just, you don't get to be a cheerleader. You can't play football as a professional into your 30s or 40s. Like you're done. You get two minutes and 15 seconds and then you're done. Um, I think that's really difficult. I think they sort of captured that in the, and you see how several of the main um, cheerleaders, sort of the after- what they're doing after their lives. Of course, that's all irrelevant because now they're celebrities. So (laughs) what they're doing after cheer looks very different now that they're all kicking it with Oprah. But the sport itself, I think, suffers from, one, a monopoly. Did you see where Varsity is now saying you cannot participate if you are a part of a reality show? Yes. It's ridiculous. Varsity. Meet us at the mic. That's the exact wrong direction for you to go after this thing happens. My husband was like, how short-sighted are you? You guys are the dumbest. Um, It's a monopoly that cannot, and when a monopoly like that, when they're making short-sighted decisions about reality shows, they're making short-sighted decisions about a lot of things, like how to protect their athletes, like the the cost of participating in this sport and how that limits who can, the diversity of the, that's why cheer is so uh, appealing is because there's such a diversity, the show, I mean. Just a lack of forethought of like, can I just get this off my chest? Like if these people are, and they are, incredible athletes, and I think this is so valuable and like we could talk about all that. Y'all need to just lose the bows. It's so stupid to me that we're spending weeks and weeks looking at what the physical journey of these people and then they put on bedazzled bows that belong on it they don't even belong on three-year-olds i don't like on my babies either for what it's worth it's just so ridiculous to me like it's it's stuck in this and i think the lady who writes the book does a good job of like it's just stuck in this weird in-between and they need to decide like it needs to like break free and just be a real athletic pursuit that doesn't involve bedazzled bows and a monopoly that can fleece people and then it can really take on the serious challenge of protecting the athletes. Because another issue I read about is like reason there's a lot of injuries, too, is like there's no real certification process for the coaches and like how they can protect people and how they can make better decisions and you can train them and all this stuff. And so, I mean, Monica, you can watch it and like feel the risk these athletes are under under her very watchful eye, who and I think she legitimately cares and has a lot of experience. Think about us as somebody's just rolling in for the first time trying to do this job with no training, with no certification process. I just think it's like needs to shake loose and become a real sport or I don't know. I think that that to me seems sort of the I'm sure we're going to get lots of angry emails from people involved in cheer. But that is my perception after several hours of a reality show. I don't want anybody to be angry about it. I I just can't imagine being deeply embedded in this sport and not also having questions about mm-hmm. the body image side 
the projection of a kind of feminine ideal while you are trying to be an an almost Olympic level gymnast. I mean, there's just too much going on and it's so much pressure on these young people and these young bodies. And look, gymnastics just has some issues in that way. Every sport we're kind Mm -hmm. of coming to the things that you do over and over and over to your body are really hard on it. They're really, Mm -hmm. really hard on it. And it's an enormous sacrifice to decide that you're going to put your body through that. And the problem is most of the people involved in these things didn't decide that. Their parents decided it. Right. And that's the that is a big takeaway as I watched this. Just I thought so much about as a parent, where is that line around supporting and encouraging your kids to do the things that make them feel most like them? Because you saw that with all of these kids, that cheer made them feel most like them in a way that is beautiful and necessary and life-giving. And at the same time as a parent, how do you protect them from everything about that that can be exploited physically, financially, emotionally? I mean, just the social media side for these kids Mm -hmm. is, it is a horror if I think about it as a mother. And so I don't know where that line is, but it's something I'm going to be thinking about a lot. Well, we... Thank you for coming here to think about everything from Bernie Sanders to Russia to coronavirus to cheer. I just think that's like that's good. It's a good, well-rounded, holistic approach to our current issues as Americans. We always love hashing this stuff out with you guys. We will be back in your ears tomorrow on our other podcast, The Nuance Life. We have a really, really great discussion about David Brooks' article about the nuclear family. So good, we carried it into the bonus episode for The Nuance Life. We also talk about sort of small acts with big impact in our democracy. So we hope you'll go over to The Nuance Life and check out that episode. And we hope to see many of you on Hot Mic this evening for the debate and here again on Friday as we talk about five things you need to know about Medicare. Have a great evening. Keep it nuanced, still. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Martha Branitsky, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Amy Whited, and Allie Edwards. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.